0: In this week's episode of the Sixers Beat, we changed things up a little bit by bringing in Mike O'Connor, my colleague over at The Athletic Philadelphia. With the Sixers now more a little more than halfway through the season, we reflect back on what's happened so far, take a look at what surprised us, both good and bad, then look forward to what our expectations are for the rest of the season. Towards the end of the podcast, we do also then talk about some of the recent develop, developments, most notably L. Fultz and his continued progress towards returning, and Joel Embiid and whether or not he will make an all-NBA first team. This week's episode is brought to you by SeatGeek. Get $20 off your first purchase by using promo code BEAT. Welcome everybody. I am Derek. I'm joined this week by Mike O'Connor, my colleague over at The Athletic Philadelphia. How you doing, Mike?
1: I'm doing great. Doing we, great. Uh, doing?
0: Rich is on his way out to the warm climate of Minneapolis to cover the Super Bowl next week. So we went uh, switch things up a little bit. It's been a while since we had Mike on. Uh, I've done a, I guess, a couple podcasts now with Mike. One of which was never released. It was the day of the Markel Fultz trade. And boy, how everything has changed in our lives since then, both personally in terms of the athletics starting up and in, Mar- in the, the world of Markel Fultz. He, uh, things have changed, and I guess we'll leave it at that. He, it is great, and by great I mean very depressing to go back. Listen to those podcasts we did when we knew that the Sixers were trading for Markel Fultz and how how exciting of a time that was and to be where we are now, it's just it's it's mind boggling. But that is a topic we will get to in a bit. Because it's been a while since I had you on, rather than going through the kind of, you know, news of the week, how the team's playing the last couple couple days, I figured we'd take a step back, maybe look at the team from a wider lens. And one of the things we want to talk about, you know, what are you most surprised about that is what development throughout the course of the season are you most surprised about that you looked at at the start of the season hasn't met your expectations so we're going to pick one positive one negative and i guess we'll start off with you what if you had to pick one positive so far for the season what would it be
1: positive um like if we're just looking at an individual player um Anything. go anywhere yeah, yeah. You want. i'll i'll go modest this is just like a slight positive i would say amir johnson like amir johnson has actually been really good um Like, when you look at his on-off stats, like, the team, specifically, like, the defense stays afloat when Embiid leaves the court, which is huge. Like, I honestly think that's been a big factor in their, like, their recent kind of streak since Christmas is when Embiid leaves the floor, like, they don't entirely crumble. Um, And I I think I looked, like, recently I looked up his stats on, like, his on-off defense stats, and I think it's, like, 40th percentile or something in terms of the differential of on on off and when you can when you think about the fact that he's going against Joel Embiid in that that's pretty damn impressive so just kind of like a modest surprise I would say Amir Johnson's been giving the Sixers some really good backup center minutes
0: yeah he's been he started off really like he he struggled to start the season he's been solid since that would kind of be one of my, you know, when we were ranking these, one of my negatives would be how Rashawn Holmes just looks like the team has no confidence in him whatsoever. People want to know why he's not on the court. Because Brett Brown just doesn't trust him defensively right now. And that, to me, is a negative. Like, when they signed Rashawn Holmes, I was thinking much more locker room guy. Kind of show Rashawn and some of these young guys the way that it's done And I think I'm still looking at Rashawn as kind of like that long-term piece, that long-term backup five. I'm not sure I believe that anymore. Like, I just don't think Brett trusts him enough. And you see what Rashawn can do. You see what he can do in terms of as a role man, in terms of as hustle and finishing around the basket and blocking the occasional shot. And you just wish at this point it clicked a little bit more on the defensive side of the court. That being said, the fact that, you know, Amir Johnson is playing more than I expected, while a negative because it means Rashawn hasn't taken that jump that I hoped for. His play individually has, has certainly been what you could have hoped for when he signed that contract. And again, he's overpaid on a per-year basis, but that's what you do with a one-year deal.
1: Yeah, I agree. And just, like, going off Rashawn, like, I had high hopes for him this year. Like, I, I like you, like, I thought that Rashawn, it was his job to lose the backup center spot. Um, but it's, like, I don't blame Brett at all for, you know, his thoughts on his defense, like, he really gets lost very easily. And, like, he doesn't.
0: Brett is not wrong about that.
1: Right, right. It's like (laughs) I've thought about his defense before. Like, it's like Hassan Whiteside's awareness without Hassan Whiteside's, like, crazy length to, like, make up for it. Like, he gets very lost out there very easily. Um, And, by the way, it it took
0: Hassan Whiteside a long time to be a productive basketball player.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah. And and when you're Rashawn and you're like a six foot eight center, it's just it's not gonna fly. Um so I, I really hope he figures it out because I love all like so many of the advantages he can bring on offense, but yeah, the defense has been brutal.
0: I guess if I had to pick a positive, which I do, it's that's what the segment is. You know, Simmons defense I think has just absolutely blown me away. And I know you've written something about this recently and, and go to the athletic slash Philly, check it out. Mike's stuff is always great. That's why I hired him. But Simmons' defense has just been worlds better than I would have expected. His versatility is there in spades. Uh, he can really... We, we're going to talk about this in a bit in, in terms of the Dario-Simmons pairing. And it's much more viable because he can defend that three a lot more than, you know, I think we would have expected. He is engaged and locked in. He can help and recover. He's doing all of these kind of things. And, and the, the, the reflexes. The quick twitch athleticism that we saw at LSU is still there as well, so he's forcing turnovers. He has been really incredible on the defensive side of the court, and I think his upside is still tremendous there. And it's just there's a, a level of being locked in, a, a focus and attention to detail that I didn't know he had in him, certainly not at this stage of his career. And that is far and away right now just the uh, the most surprising thing about the season for me so far.
1: Yeah, I agree. And like, if you look at the starting lineup, like, just on paper, defensively, like, it shouldn't make sense. Like, it really shouldn't. <laughs> like, there's one guy under, listed under six foot nine. Like, that shouldn't work. But it's really just Ben's versatility that, like, holds it together. Um, and I think, like, like you said, like, the instincts are just incredible there. Like, he really recognizes, um, like weak side health decisions well and just like when to rotate, when to kind of like decide when to go for like a playmaking situation. Um, he's been really, really, really exceeded my expectations. And like, it's funny, like at LSU, I think you could count on one hand the number of times he got in a defensive stance, but it, it's been better this year, but I still think he can even improve in that
0: regard. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. And I mean, it, it is, it is. There's always that, that when you're scouting these guys in college, there's that difference between just inconsistency and indifference. And I really didn't know where on that spectrum Simmons fell while he was at LSU. And I think right now it's very clearly just that inconsistency aspect. And, yeah, there are still times where he will get caught in a screen. There are still times where he won't get down in the stance. But they are much fewer and much far between than they used to be. And he's, he's just, I mean, it, it's like you said. There are lineups right now that are working that just quite frankly shouldn't work. And you saw that with that starting five with the you know, Embiid, Scharch, Simmons, Covington, uh, Reddick starting five. That team defended very well throughout the season, even with Sharich in there, even with Redick in there who's not the certainly not the most natural point guard defender out there. And now you're looking at it with Luau Cabro, and you're talking about guys that are all six, seven or bigger. Most of them six eight six nine six ten are bigger, and you know that unit. And I don't want to get too deep into the numbers because it's still we're only talking like fifty six minutes. But they're holding teams with an eighty two point three defensive rating, which is absurd. And there's just a whole lot of data right now that suggests that pretty much any lineup they throw out there with Embiid, Covington, and Simmons can really be locked down defensively. And to start there with your base, because th- those are your three right now most important pieces long term. That gives you so much flexibility to, to finish out that roster and to put other pieces around them that it's a, it's just an incredible base to build off of.
1: Yeah, 100, percent. 100, and just like to highlight Simmons, like it's even incredible when you look at when Embiid leaves and Simmons stays. They stay really, really good. Um, like with Simmons and Amir Johnson, I think their defensive rating is I think like 98.6, which is unbelievable. Like that would be best in the league. So even when Embiid leaves the floor and Simmons stays, the defense stays intact.
0: Yeah, you know, there, there, there's just a lot to build off of, and you really wonder when they get maybe like let's say a six four point guard with a seven foot waistband, <laughs> what they might be able to do in three or four years time. Uh, but there are, that's right now a very high variance outcome in terms of a in terms of that point guard, that hypothetical point guard that we're talking about, which. We'll probably be try nice to, to have him. it would be real for a lot of different reasons. It would be real nice to have him, but he is he is not there yet. All right, let's transition there into the Scharch and Simmons being a viable long term starting unit. I'm not sure. First of all, what was your kind of expectation for that group? Did you think they would and should be starting? And did you think they were kind of like a viable, you know, pairing on the forward spots going forward?
1: I thought that
0: viable pairing from the forward spots going forward. Good job, Derek. That that was real, real smooth. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> I thought that it, it would. I thought it was going to be a mess on defense because I thought that like Simmons and Saric would just bump the other two defenders down too far, and then the two of them wouldn't be able to defend well from either position there. Um, but obviously that's been wrong. And then I thought on offense that. With Saric, like I would, I would have expected him to shoot like 35, 36% from three. Um, and he's been better than that. Like, and and I've, I've written about this before, but like Saric's impact on the starting lineup comes down so much to his shooting. And lately, especially over the past you know month or two months, even he's been great from from three point land. So I think that's been a huge factor in kind of allowing these two to play together. Um, and you know specifically for Dario, when he plays with Ben and Joel, there's no room for him in the paint. Like he has to play from the perimeter. He has to play basically like a guard. Um, and I think that that kind of like for some time didn't really highlight his strengths. But now that he's knocking down shots, it's been really, really effective.
0: Yeah. Um. I was not a fan of that of that starting lineup pairing. I thought you wanted to stagger them as much as possible in a large part because I wanted Ben Simmons at the four from a defensive perspective. And part of that was because you wanted them near the rim as much as possible. And it, this is a lot more blurred now than it was maybe 10 years ago. Like a lot of the guys he's defending now aren't all that much different than maybe who Sharich is defending. Like there's a lot of times there's two or three athletic ball handling kind of face up forwards that you had to choose from. But you wanted him near the basket defensively as much as possible, if for no other reason than those grab-and-goes that he's so good at. And I do think there's still a little bit to that. Like, he went through a recent stretch where he wasn't rebounding the ball at all, and I think that limited him offensively because, you know, when he grabs the ball and he pushes it himself, he's such a, like, teams have to really be on their toes in terms of their cross matches and transition. And if there's any hesitancy there, if there's any miscommunication there, he can really punish that. And I think when he's at his best, he's really hitting the glass and pushing it himself. So I still think there's something to wanting to keep him there in terms of a rebounding perspective. But his perimeter defense has been so much better. He's been so much more versatile on that end of the court that that lineup still very much uh, succeeds from a defensive standpoint. So I think there is a lot more equity in terms of what you can Realistic, you use that for long term. I do think it is something, and certainly Scharch, you know, I think over the last 13 or so games, these 13 games where they are 10 and 3, which is funny because you talk to people and I swear they only remember those three losses, but they are actually 10 and 3. And Sharch is averaging 17 points, uh, 7 rebounds, shooting 47% from the field, 46% from three. That shooting has been incredible of late. It certainly does make him a much more viable candidate. And I do think his passing and his interior passing has opened up a lot more than it did at times last year. So I think he's been a, a a lot better. He's fit that role really well. And is it still, I guess, maybe my perfect lineup? No, I'd still probably like a little bit more in terms of defensive versatility. I like a little more switchability among those guys. But certainly, he is a much more. I mean, the fact that he can play so well with Ben Simmons, it just opens up his future on his team so much more than it was coming in the season. And it, that has certainly been one of the good takeaways the fact that you can kind of bank on that a little bit more.
1: Yeah, it's it's crazy, like, that we just the presumed starting lineup was the current group with Markel Fultz instead of Dario. Yeah, and, like, no. how did we replace Dario's uh, Markel Fultz with Dario? Sorry. And it like, works. And it works like it's it's crazy. It's think crazy of how
0: insane that you know that flexibility and just the diversity of skills you have to have, like you said, to take Markel Fultz out of a presumed lineup, put Dario Saric in, and you still have the skill sets to make that work. It's uh like we said, it, there's a lot to build on going forward. With the Super Bowl less than a week away, if you're looking to buy tickets to the big game and cheer on the birds, there's only one place you should look, SeatGeek. Trying to find tickets can be stressful, especially for an event as in-demand as the Super Bowl, where prices can fluctuate from minute to minute. SeatGeek is here to help you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket-buying experience easier than ever. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Best of all, our listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code BEAT today. That's promo code B-E-A-T for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Alright, so they're sitting here right now, they're 24 and 21. They have the league's third-best defense. They have, I think, the third-best net rating in the Eastern Conference. They're, what, maybe a game and a half out of fourth place. And they have a pretty easy schedule coming up once they get out of, like, the middle of February. How high can they go? Can this team be a a top-four seed? Like, that that (sighs) seems pretty ridiculous, doesn't
1: it? It does. I think... I think the ceiling is probably the sixth, but I also think that's I think they have a very good chance. I, I just I don't see them passing Miami. I mean I could be wrong, but like Miami's point differential is pretty bad. Like they've snuck out a lot of strange wins. But I I have a hard time seeing them close the gap on Miami. I mean they're only two games back, but I just kind of think that you have to consider the fact that, you know, it's it's a a long second half of the year we probably presume that joel and beat is going to miss a handful more games um you have to factor in that they might have some other bumps and bruises along the way um but if i were going if, if there's a counterpoint to that it's that a lot of teams in the east are also sliding back the pacers haven't been great the wizards are being the wizards um and the Cavs are playing awful um, but i think i think it's Fairly likely you see them in the sixth seed, but I also think that's about their ceiling.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I mean, to be honest, six, seven, eight, even five, as long as they make the playoffs, I'm not really, you know, I'm not too picky in that regard. Certainly, it'd be great to host a playoff series, but it's not the it's not the end of the world either. because this is very much a team that I, I, I it's almost become a cliche, but cliches usually do have some merit to them that it would be great to get them in the playoffs, get them a little bit of experience, get them to experience what that is like, and maybe increase their profile around the league for free agents coming in the summer. I think they have a very good chance of doing that. I mean, you look at, like you said, the Bucs just fired a coach in a bit of a free fall. The Pacers falling back down to earth. The Pistons in a complete free fall. Knicks and the Hornets don't even look like they're even real serious contenders at this point for a playoff spot. So there are not that many people they have to beat out, and assuming health, health, which is a tough assumption to make sometimes, they are by far playing the best basketball, which is funny when you say that because this 10 out of 13 stretch comes right after what they lost maybe 9 out of 10. So they went from one extreme to the other, uh, but they are playing very good basketball right now. Again, you wouldn't necessarily notice that by the reactions on Twitter sometimes. <laughs> like I said, they're 10-3 in their last 13. Sometimes you only really hear the three. They've had double-digit leads in, I believe I saw on Reddit, the last 12 games that they've played, which is astounding. And again, I, I feel like people only remember the fact that they blew three of those. They don't remember the fact that they built 12 double-digit leads. Um, they are playing very good basketball right now. And watching this defense kind of, you know, Brett Brown has been talking about defend, defend, defend. That has to be our backbone. That has to be what we're built upon. He's been talking about that for a while now. And some years they've done that, you know. That one New Orleans year they were very good. Integrated Jai into it, it kind of all fell apart. But now you're kind of seeing it all come together, and they are a very, very good defensive team right now.
1: Yeah, they really are. They really are. It's it's funny you uh you bring up like the the kind of like the drop off in in the Okafor years. I I think I checked uh cleaning the glass Ben Falk's uh site, and I think I saw that Okafor's on-off defense rating for the Nets is in, like, the 10th percentile. So if anybody was wondering um, if he's a new player since he's joined the Nets, uh, I don't believe so.
0: No, No, nor was I expecting that to be the case. Um, All right, let's – if you were going to pick, let's say the Sixers end up a 6-7-8 seed. They had the chance to play uh, one of the top three seeds, which right now are uh, Boston – Toronto and Cleveland. Who would you pick and why?
1: Uh, so part of me wants to say the Cavs. Like I for anybody that doesn't know, I also cover the Cavs um and I have just had a, a firsthand witness to how awful they've been. Like they it is astounding how bad they've been and also the, with all the locker room issues they have. Um but I just think you don't want to play LeBron in the first round of the playoffs. Uh which leaves me between Toronto and Boston. When you look at Boston, I you know, they had the sixteen game winning streak and outside of that they're nineteen and fourteen. And I like I do wonder if they've overachieved. I really do. I, I think that it would be a really interesting playoff series between uh the Sixers and the Celtics, not only from like the fans perspective, the rivalry perspective, but just a on court basketball perspective, um, I don't. I do worry a little bit for the Celtics. Like that defense going against specifically Ben Simmons in the playoffs. Like I don't know how you make Ben Simmons all that effective in a playoff game with him not being able to shoot in the half court. Um, so by the process of elimination, I think I'm going to go with the Raptors. Um, you know, not not the least of which uh, reasons is that the Sixers beat them recently, um, but. I think, yeah, I think I would go with the Raptors.
0: I think in terms of who they can beat, I think I would go with the Raptors. Not that I'm saying they would beat the Raptors, but I think they have the best chance against them. And, that again, the Raptors have been fantastic. Like, they've been really good this year. But I agree with you, against that defense, which two out of three games Embiid has played has caused them real troubles. And, I mean, he dominated the third game, so you keep that in mind, too. But they're one of the few teams that can really body him up man-to-man and at least make him work for it. And they're so disciplined and so versatile that they really have a lot of guys they can throw at Ben Simmons. They can make his life tough, too. And it doesn't seem like that's a series that's going to work out well for the Sixers' favorite. That being said, as someone who has to cover the series, that would be a blast of a series to cover. I would absolutely love covering Sixers-Celtics. I mean, that would just the, the fan animosity, the storylines, the how intertwined these two teams are. It would be fantastic. They're, they're, and throwing in,
1: throwing in that the Eagles are playing the Patriots in the Super Bowl, and we'll be coming fresh off that.
0: Absolutely, there will be some animosity still lingering from that, no matter which way it goes. It would, uh, uh, journalist dreams, analysis dreams. It would be, it would be great. That being said, if I'm picking who I think they can beat, I think Toronto probably. You probably have the strongest case against Toronto. Cleveland, I'm the same as you. This Cleveland that we're seeing now in January, yes. I think the Sixers have a real chance. Do I expect this Cleveland to be the one that shows up in the playoffs? No. I don't think anybody really is. And that's why, for as bad as they are, and like you've said, you get a firsthand view of just how awful that defense has been, how much infighting there is, how some of the lineups and rotations just make no sense. They still have LeBron. And until he loses a playoff series, I'm not going to believe he's... An uh, Eastern Conference playoff series, I'm not going to believe it's actually going to happen. So, that being said, it would be great if the Sixers were the, the first... I I guess in terms of going in with a um, there's-nothing-to-lose mentality, that would be fun as well. But I do think in terms of winning, I think I think it's probably Toronto. Uh, and, again, all of them would be tough. They'd be prohibitive underdogs in all of them. But that's kind of where my head would be at.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, the more I think about it, the more I I talk myself into the Raptors. Um, Although, I mean, they're obviously a great team. Like I I was just saying before, you know, we got on here, like the Raptors have been a January contender for several years now. (laughs) You wonder, you know, if they will ever really reach that like legitimate contender point um but you know maybe we are seeing that that january flash from them and then you kind of they kind of come back to earth
0: yeah i think i think you know how we talk about lebron and we say yeah they're struggling now but every may and june they turn it on with the raptors it's almost the inverse of that yeah they're playing well (laughs) now but they do that every january but then every may comes around and they end up you know drastically underperforming right you know you've got Two first-round knockouts during this run, semi uh, semifinals knockout. They did make one Eastern Conference Finals, but they just never really seemed to reach their potential there. And you're probably banking on that, and maybe banking on that a little bit too much and overlooking how good of a team they are. But it's also hard to get that out of your head. I don't know.
1: Yeah. Even when they won two games in the Eastern Conference Finals, nobody took them seriously at all. Like, no. at all. <laughs>
0: um. All right, one of the things around the the league that happened, obviously, DeMarcus Cousins out for the rest of the season, brings up a lot of questions about Joel Embiid. Obviously, he can get more money if he reaches certain criteria this year. And there's kind of like a league-wide what criteria can be used, and that's MVP, defensive player of the year, first team, all second, third team. But you can negotiate that. And the Sixers have it set up where the only way he can reach is Supermax, and Supermax means he can get, 30% 30% of the salary cap on the first year of his, of his extension rather than 25%. The only criteria that this contract can use is MVP and first team All NBA. So, cut the, I guess, take another step back. All NBA teams are a little different than All Star teams. All Star teams, you get two guards and three front court players, no center designation. All NBA still keeps that center designation. So you have Two guards, two forwards, and a center. So removing a real contender into Marcus Cousins has a, a drastic impact to to, uh, to Embiid. And, you know, we're basically talking about the difference of this. if Embiid is first-team All-NBA, the Sixers lose about $5 million in cap space next summer, which is significant. I guess what I would say, first of all, this is, is a very high-class problem to have. Like, the Sixers very much took out all of the easy qualifications Embiid could get the Supermax for. And if they, they took out, like I said, all, all NBA second team, all NBA third team, and defensive player of the year, and he still gets that money anyway, it doesn't seem like something I'm really going to complain about too much. That being clear, what I would say is that there's no like master list of positions. like The NBA doesn't say, okay, these are the, the centers you can vote for. So a lot of people are now wondering, okay, well, with Cousins out, we'll Anthony Davis now becomes center eligible. It's not how that works. The media votes on it. Media, media could say, I'm going to pick Jason Tatum as a center, and that would be valid. If enough media members voted for him at center, you could do that. So I think a lot of people are going to look at Anthony Davis, are going to see him slide over to that center spot for the Pelicans, and I think they're probably going to vote for him, especially when you have a lot of big forwards like Giannis, like LeBron, uh, really fighting for votes there. They're going to say, okay, well, now how can I fit Steph and Harden into that mix? And I think I, I, I just it feels like Anthony Davis is going to be voted as a center. So I'm not sure there's really as much impact in DeMarcus Cousins going down as maybe some Sixers fans are fretting over.
1: Yeah, you know what would be hilarious is if all of the media members that, uh, didn't vote for Joel Embiid to start in the All-Star game because he missed X amount of games end up voting for him for first team All-NBA and it cost Sixers $5 million. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, the thing that like everyone should keep in mind is that him making first team All-NBA is a good thing, no matter what. No matter what. That means that he has been healthy. That means he's been obviously one of the best players in the league. That is, like you said, first world problems. Um, But I guess the fallout of that, like after that, if you view that as kind of like a sunk cost, then there is like some maneuvering to be done. Like I think that you definitely, in that case, definitely want to wiggle out of Jared Bayless's last year. Um, And it does, you know, just put like a slightly bigger limit on what you can do in free agency next summer.
0: Yeah, it does. And that's going to make, uh, the trade deadline really interesting, not only to get out of Bayless's contract, which has to be a priority for this team, but also in what you're willing to take back. You know, I think a lot of people are looking at it. They're saying, okay, I have no idea what to expect from Markel Fultz, which, oh, by the way, I also have no idea what to expect out of Markel Fultz. And you could really use some scoring punch off the bench. And I agree. But outside of whether or not Fultz is still deserving of minutes after the the All-Star break which again I have no idea what to expect but that is still like if he, if he's going to play you still want to be able to run some offense through him but you also have to take into account well what does that mean to get about the Sixers salary situation next year I don't think they want to take on money for a reserve I don't think they want to really give up an a pick or an asset of real value so it's going to be interesting how much they really prioritize because they are going to be on the doorsteps of the playoffs. They are going to be on the doorsteps maybe of even a, you know, a four or five, six seed or a, a real strong contender for the playoffs. How much are they going to get sucked into? We have to go out and improve the talent level of the team. Now that's going to be interesting because there is still that pull of the free agency next year. But I mean, $5 million, if that comes to pass, and look, I, like I said, I still think Anthony Davis is a real contender here, but once you get past him, there just aren't that many. Like as much as I like Nikola Jokic, like I don't think that he's gonna be voted first team all NBA. I just don't think he has that kind of name recognition. So I think Embiid's gonna have a real uh you know, a real a real chance at that. But if it happens, I mean you just have to live with it. But it does really increase I mean, you need to get rid of that bayless contract anyway. But it it really like they really need to get rid of that bayless contract because you have to kind of count on that five million dollars being used up. It's gonna be right. fun. It's gonna be fun. I don't know.
1: It will be, and, I'd like, I don't think that we – I think that just with the way the season has gone, I don't think that we have a feel for, like, how they would be without Bayless. Like, he's been out for the past, I guess, two games or three games or whatever, and so is Redick. And, like, the reason that the Sixers haven't missed them is because they've shot 44% from three over the past X amount of games. Right. You know, like, we don't really have a feel for, you know, if we were to lose another – Um, little piece of depth with Bayless off the bench in the second half of the season. Like we don't really know how much that would impact the team.
0: Okay. So you still have JJ Redick. He's going to be out for a little while yet. You have Jared Bayless, who presumably is on a shorter, you know, sore left wrist, same one he hurt last year, presumably on a shorter timeline though. He should be back relatively soon with the way TLC is playing is there any reason to keep him ahead of Bayless in the rotation, in your mind?
1: Well, I think <laughs> I don't know how long I'm willing to bet on TLC for. <laughs> I mean, I would like to think that he's just going to ride this out to the end of the year, but you know, but you know, 40 games in, he was shooting uh, 30% from three. So I'm I'm a little hesitant to give that to him. I, I love I love the idea of TLC. I've been all in on him since the Sixers drafted him, but. The thing is if he if if he's the first forty games of this year for the rest of this year, if that's who he is, then I think you're in a lot of trouble because you're gonna be playing a lot of lineups with Ben Simmons and multiple below average three point shooters.
0: Yeah. It's he, he was downright infuriating the first, like you said, forty games of the season. It's nice to see him kinda of come back to, to life a little bit. Let's go on the hypothetical that Bayless comes back tomorrow. I would probably keep TLC ahead of him for now and ride that out and see whether or not he can kind of, you know, parlay this into a little more consistent playing time because I do like the theory of TLC quite a bit. That being said, he's been really bad. Like he fell out of the rotation deservedly. So, and if in three weeks, He's playing horribly again. Would I be surprised? No, not at all. But I would at the very least kind of let him let him play this out and see whether or not he can... Obviously, he's not going to shoot like he has over the last four games. He's not going to maintain that. But just see whether or not he can be a functional NBA player because at the very least, that defensive size and speed and quickness can be helpful if he's making shots.
1: Yeah, 100%. 100%. Like he... And, and like his ability to make shots has really been a huge catalyst over the past three games, like specifically against Milwaukee. Like he hit a lot of momentum shots. He kept the Bucks facing on Like that's such a huge factor in the Sixers offense. So I, I, I hope that they can, I hope that he continues that over the rest of the year, but I'm, I'm a bit skeptical, you know, given what we've seen.
0: Yeah, no, I'm very, I'm I'm very skeptical about TLC. Um, very happy with the way he's playing, but very skeptical it will stay stick around long term. All right, let one more question and I will let you go. Who plays first, Markel Fultz or Gordon Hayward? <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, we saw man. Gordon
0: Hayward's foot practically fall off on live TV.
1: Yes. Um. Uh, I'll go with Markel Fultz. I. I don't think that he will sit out the entire year um, I think that I think that even if he can't shoot even if even if ten games from now um, which we by still, the way there's
0: some data there's some uh, video to suggest he can't shoot right now,
1: yes, yes, so let's say even if ten games from now it's the exact same. I think that they will approach a point where they let. Markel play and just try and figure it out because it's it, you, you're you kind of approaching a point where you're wondering is this not a lost cause but is it a lost cause for the rest of the year and if it is then we know, like, we know he's healthy now the team has said that we know he's healthy now so it's going to reach a point where they just say alright I guess this is what it is I guess it's not going to get better so let's try and put him out on the floor and and see what he can do and i think that might help him in some senses like if markel comes out and say he returns in 10 games or whatever and he's completely ineffective I, I a lot of people say like oh that's going to ruin his confidence or whatever i don't really think about it like that i think that that's going to be him seeing he, him seeing this and saying okay i really need to figure out my jump shot or i can't be a productive nba player cuz he's ha- and and i completely respect and like understand the mindset of I just want to help the team. I want to do what I can when I'm out on the floor. But if he comes out and realizes the degree to which his success depends on his jump shot, I think that might be good for him just in the long run. I, I'm I'm kind of like planning for next year in this sense, but I do think that it will reach a point where they say where they where they say, Okay, this is what it is, we're gonna put Markel out there. Whew.
0: Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a great question. It's, it's a great question because I do, I do worry a little bit if he goes out there and he can't shoot and he doesn't have the confidence in the shot and he's passing up 10 footers again, what that will do to his psyche. Like, I think that is a fair question, but I also understand where you're coming from and that if he goes out there, you know, sometimes you don't realize, like you said, how important something like a jump shot is until you're really shown how much you need that jump shot. It's not that I don't think, like, I think he's going to be working on that jumper over the summer either way, but maybe just, there might be a little bit of a sense of urgency that he would have by struggling at the end of the season, but it is, um, this throws a little bit of cold water on everything the Sixers are looking to do at the deadline, in the offseason, the opportunities that will come up. Not just, you know, Kemba Walker is kind of like the one who's there now. But point guards get moved all the time. Because there's just, there's such a surplus of them in the NBA. There will be more point guards available. There will be really good point guards available. And right now, you've invested so much in this kid. So much in this kid. That there's no way you move on from him yet. There's no way you even consider it. He's too talented. You gave up two, you know, two really high picks in him. That being said, there's still a lot of real legitimate uncertainty over what he will be both the rest of the season and going forward. And it's just it's it you it kind of puts you in this limbo of team building that it would just be great to get a little bit of positive reinfor- reinforcement right now, not only for Markel, but for the fan base as well, because they have a lot riding on this kid. A lot riding on this kid. And as excited as we can be about Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And oh by the way, you should be really fucking excited. Because I think one thing that Joel Embiid has shown you, kind of like like Tim Duncan for 12 to 15 years, whenever this, whenever Joel Embiid's healthy and on the court, the Sixers will be competitive. They they will be there fighting for the playoffs. They will be there, you know, relevant game in and game out. They can play with really good teams right now when he's on the court, and that's great. But like or like San Antonio. You need that Tony Parker. You need that Manu Ginobili. In later years, you need that Kawhi Leonard. You need those second and third stars as well to really be something. And Markel Fultz was going to be that guy. He was going to be that middle pick-and-roll maestro who was really going to give the Sixers what Ben Simmons didn't have in his arsenal, what would really complement Joel Embiid really well. And the Sixers paid a premium to get that. And I supported the trade at the time. I'm pretty sure you did as well uh, because that fit was there, because that need was there. But they, make no mistake, they paid a very high price. and It's just, if you're a little bit concerned right now, I get it. I get it. I get it.
1: Yeah. I think everyone is uh, seemingly. Sense.
0: I still really believe, like, I don't, I, people ask me all the time, like, will he be fine? What do you expect from him? Would you do the trade? Do you, are you still high on him? I have no, like, there's no coefficient of yips in Kevin Pelton's P-warp. Like, there's no, <laughs> that, that just doesn't exist. I don't know that the success rate of this, I don't know whether you should feel confident in him coming back from it. My gut still tells me the kid figured out how to be a really good off the dribble shooter at one point in his life and he'll figure it out again. But do I have a little bit of uncertainty? Of course I do. Everybody does. Um, but I still do know that that kid I scouted at Washington, the moves he had off the dribble, the moves he had around the rim, what he could do off the pick and roll, what he could do as a passer, I still know all that is there. And if it ends up being wasted because of the shooting, that's going to be a, a – first of all, it's, it's going to impact the Sixers in a big way. But it's also going to rid the NBA of a real talent because I do think there's a real high-level talent in there. I just have – like if you go back to Ben Falk when he was writing about the draft, you know, he would a lot of times say like you look at him in buckets and like the probability of being great, the probability of being an all-star, the probability of being a starter, all that stuff. He still probably has the same ceiling that he had before. But that, you know, that area before then of is he a viable starter, is he an above average starter, that's probably a much bigger outcome, a higher variance outcome than it ever was. And I don't know how to exactly quantify that, but I do still really believe in that upside. I just just hope he figures everything out that's going on. Yeah,
1: I mean, I'll, I'll put it this way. If he doesn't ever figure out again like how to shoot at the rate that we thought he could, it would be unprecedented. Unprecedented. I I cannot, for the life of me, think of an example of someone that was an above-average shooter for their entire lives, went to college, became an elite shooter, went to summer league, shot the ball well, and then just forgot how to shoot forever. It would be unprecedented. But... I don't. I don't want to be the guy that's just preaching. Oh, it's going to be fine this whole time because I'm very worried about him, and I think everyone is. Um, and and I I think that there is a real chance that he that he doesn't become the elite jump shooter that we thought he could be specific specifically off the dribble. But I would say that at this moment in time, I would take the bet on him figuring out his jump shot at some point.
0: I think that's where I stand. I think right now my official position is I think he'll get it back, but I think it's probably going to take at least an offseason. Like, I don't expect to see that Markel Fultz this year, which is disappointing, and it makes team building over the summer a little bit more complicated, but I do think he ultimately gets back to where he was. That might just be the fact that I'm a little bit of an optimist right now. It might be hope more than belief, but that's kind of where I'm at right now. I, like you, he was so good. And he got to where he was that I just I can't believe he's not going to get back to it. But it, I mean, there are so many different outcomes on the table right now that I've, I have no idea which one it's going to be.
1: Yep, hundred percent. Right.
0: Well, thank you very much, Mike, for jumping on. Follow him on, on Twitter at m o'Connor underscore nba. Read him at the Athletic Philadelphia. And thanks a lot.
1: No problem. Thank you. You've been listening to the Sixers beat. Right here on Liberty Bowlers.com and Liberty Broadcast.co. It ain't
0: hard to tell. I excel, Central prevail. The mic is contacted. I attract clients.